Ladies and gentlemen. Pacific Sound Radio. Hello and welcome to Pacific Sound Radio, your go-to source for everything happening in the Vancouver music scene. I'm James Olson. And I'm Travis Noel. Thank you for joining us on this seasonably rainy afternoon here at the Save on Meats restaurant in Vancouver, BC, Canada. Led by vocalist guitarist Stevie Moonboots, the Orange Kite have established themselves as one of Vancouver's premier psychedelic rock acts after forming a brief three years ago in 2016. Since then, the band has shared the stage with a number of international touring acts, including Temples, Ariel Pink, Teenage Fan Club, and The Babe Rainbow, and has performed at the 2017 Desert Days Festival in Joshua T- Tree, California. And Stevie Moonboots has just joined us in the studio. Studio, how's it going, Stevie? Good. Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of Cheers. course. So you're from Dublin originally. Yeah. What is the music scene like over there? It's great. <laughs> it's actually great. I'm, uh, I'm kind of missing out on it right now because it wasn't that good when I left. It seemed like the wave that we, my previous bands and stuff were on, it was kind of coming to an end. And a lot of us were kind of at loose ends and kind of wondering what happens next as music scenes kind of go. It's kind of cyclical, so we were all riding on some kind of crest of a wave that we thought was going to do something, and then inevitably, or you know, unfortunately, it didn't really. You know, it was it, we were yeah, I don't know. That phase kind of ended, and then for a period of a couple of years, while I was here first, I don't really know what was going on. But like right, <clears throat> right now, there's lots of stuff going on. There's a lot of really good post-punk scene. Lots of very lyric, like lyric-oriented bands, bands who are really like into poetry, um, drawing on some of the old like Irish literary greats, um, you know, kind of yeah, channeling that through post-punk. So it's almost like traditional storytelling, like ballads, ballad lyric writing, and poetry channeled through this like. 80s post-punk kind of thing early 90s and yeah there's lots of bands taking off and it seems like it seems like all these bands because I'm like <clears throat> I'm doing this a few years and like I don't think if I could do it all again in my 20s I wouldn't have like partied so hard I would have like got my like got my can I swear on this or whatever absolutely yeah, got my shit together a little bit better and uh yeah I think I think that uh I did, I, I did it all wrong, but like, but I had a good time doing so. But what's really good is that a lot of the bands now, they tend to come out all guns blazing, like fully formed with their image down pat. They've got their agent manager. They've got all this like infrastructure in place. They're in label negotiations before they've even played a gig. I don't know what it is. They've just, I think they probably just looked at previous generations making an absolute balls of it. And they uh, are like, don't want to rip, don't want to follow that path. So like, the, yeah, it's really it's really exploding back there right now. And same in same in UK, England has the same thing going on. Cause I guess it's like Idols, kind of like were one of the main bands that kind of furrowed that path 
for like really deep lyrical content with just in a backdrop of like chaotic post-punk noise so yeah it's great it's great right now yeah yeah there's definitely a lot going on uh what were some of the projects you were involved in while you were living over there um at first i did a thing called aleko which was like an electronic punk kind of thing well it was like a punk band with like electronic elements which was actually better than i even thought it was at the time some uh, there's a there's a fair an unfortunate lack of material for existing but like anytime i stumble upon something i'm like whoa we were actually a lot better than i thought we were <laughs> like it's a shame that we didn't really you know do more with it and then that morphed into a thing called house of dolls which i'm actually currently just like trawling the archives and trying to put together some kind of like like dust off some stuff because i'm really just rediscover my appreciation for it i think that when i get involved in a music project i get like so caught up in its imperfections that it's only with the distance afterwards that I actually appreciate what it is that I've achieved or accomplished or created back then. And in my House of Dolls is no exception because I'm looking back at that going, oh, that's what I should have stuck it doing, you know? It's like, and it's, uh, it, it, that, that was great. That was like a BRMC, Jesus and Mary Chain, you know, Velvet Underground. Yeah, actually, like the jumping off point for what I'm doing now, except this thing's a little more playful and the house of dolls was very like dark and mm. i guess i was like a had a very claustrophobic dark heavy sound but yeah reflected the mood of dublin at the time i think and what made you decide to move to vancouver um i guess i was a little bit i was just lost at the time in dublin i didn't know the economy was really bad i was just going from dead-end job to one dead-end job to the next and I was kind of coming to the end of my music project. I was in a relationship and it was kind of just like a thing where we were like, yeah, let's try something else out. I, I don't really know. It's really confusing. I'm not, to be honest, like I was on the flight over. I had my, <laughs> I had my like work permit and everything. And I remember being on the flight over thinking about the movies I was going to watch on the way home as if assuming it was going to be like in two weeks. I, like I, I, I kind of fell into emigrating without really considering. It's it's just kind of like a blur. I don't know. Like, I did, but ge generally, it's probably just I was at a loose end and needed to do something with myself. And like, jo no jobs were. I wasn't enjoying any work. My music thing was coming to an end, so it was either here or Berlin. And I don't know German, so <laughs> and I can't get into the states, obviously, because it's just like a fortress that you just can't impenetrable fortress. So Vancouver, but it's worked out really well because that was like seven years ago, and I don't see myself moving anywhere anytime soon. Well, and there you go, and of course yeah. we're we're glad to have you, considering what you've ah, been doing shucks. with uh, <laughs> with the orange kite. Why, thank you. So, considering the time that you've uh, been spending here and playing in playing in bands and stuff like that, what are your thoughts on the Vancouver music scene in comparison to Dublin? Obviously. A lot more people in the Dublin scene, which helps, but yeah, um, it took me a while to penetrate it. Like, in terms of like, I didn't feel there was any scene, but I, I think when I came here, I was like, I was almost like averse to getting involved in any kind of music. I really wanted to get ahead financially, and like, I was thinking maybe I shouldn't be a musician or for this reason or that reason, just had a quarter life crisis or whatever you want to call it. 
and uh, in very inevitably it has crept back into me because it's just part of who I am and uh, I could only suppress that for so long and it was only once I kind of was like okay let's do this that I scratched the surface and realised there was a wealth of like music that uh, like at the time yeah there was just like it was a cool punk scene not as much I, I guess I think it's just a different scene, a different style of music that like took me a, a moment to get my head around. Just like it's it's a little actually what it is is it's it's a little more fractured. It's it's fair, it's a little more dare I say it cliquey than Dublin, where like everybody in Dublin, if you're a musician, you're kind of like just in each other's pockets, and it's very much a camaraderie of like musicians. And that's not like to, that's not a judge. Who's to say? That, that's not a mark against the, the Vancouver scene. It's just like it was a culture shock for me just to kind of see a little more fragmented kind of thing and everybody was in their little um, their kind of scenes or like genres were kind of... That's the way it felt anyway. I'm not even sure if that's the way it was, but it was just from a, a culture shock perspective. It was... But, but uh, in terms of the, the style of music we made, just lots of really cool like underground punk uh, DIY venues. That that was that was the thing that I, I really like... like that, that was different to, to back home. I kind of felt like I was going to more straight-up regular bars, venues for for shows. And here it was kind of like, oh, it's like art spaces there, like putting on punk shows. And kind of then the psych thing started taking off a little bit and then the projections and just, yeah, I don't know, a little more DIY, which I really respect. Yeah, I have to say that the DIY shows that I've gone to have tended to be some of my favorite local shows. Yeah. I've seen plenty of great shows at at bars, but there's just something a little bit more special. Perhaps it's because the DIY crowd tends to be a little younger. Yeah. So there's a little bit more energy. Yeah. <laughs> less, tend to be less jaded about what less, goes on in the scene. But, <laughs> less burned out, yeah. Yeah. But what's uh, what's nice about that, the double-edged sword with that is a venue, you know, DIY venues come and go. Yeah, totally. They do. It's And it's kind of like, but I kind of, I kind of, not that I like that, but I mean, I kind of like that chase of like, where's the next underground yeah. venue? It's like, oh, wh- where can we like convince to let us in for like, you know, put on a show? It's kind of, it's very much like it tests your commitment to the cause. And p- they could, these things are only happening because people are really passionate about it. Because you really need to put like, bounce your head off many brick walls before making this happen. And then it gets closed down and you're kind of rallying against the system. So it's very political in a way that these things are happening. So, yeah, big respect to that. And even actually another thing about here that I found in compared to to Ireland is like bands don't really just tend to hit the road and tour with no, with very little infrastructure behind them. Like bands here that are just like playing like DIY venues. You just see them doing do a tour poster for like playing across the States and like playing like Gone, they're gone away for like two or three months and they're doing it like basically the, the you know the toilet circuit of like US but they're just doing it because they're just committed to it so I find that like yeah that that's that and the DIY that and the DIY scene like venues and stuff like that are just like they were huge differences and it's kind of like inspirational in terms of like you know just doing it despite all <laughs> despite all the infrastructure and political landscape telling you that you can't. Yeah, there's very much a, and not to toot our own horns here, but that's kind of like what we're we're trying to do is that we know there's 
talented, amazing people who are in bands and put out their own music, and there's tons of cool stuff going here, but there's some more challenges that are attached to having a cohesive scene and a healthy scene and getting the exposure that we, I feel, artists here deserve in comparison to artists uh, playing in Toronto or Montreal. So it's, uh, I, I, yeah, it's cool to hear your perspective on that, that the elements of the scene are kind of working within that same frame of mind. Yeah, totally. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful thing just to, uh, and yeah, youth, when you got youth on your side, it's definitely a lot more, but I, I see that, I see it even with like, it's, I see, yeah, I think there's people who are really committed to their subculture. You know, I see people like in middle age, like middle aged people are just like, so I, 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 I guess I don't think I saw that as much in, in Ireland at the time. I'm sure it exists, but like here it's like just some very hardcore dedicated, like people who are dedicated to their subculture. Oh yeah, their ideals, almost regimented about it, but that's mm-hmm. cool too. I mean, because if that's who you are, you know, just being true to themselves. I mean, oh yeah, you you cool. def you definitely see quite a few punk and metalhead lifers. Oh yeah, some guys in the in middle age who are still yeah. rocking the jean jean yeah. jackets. Oh, big time! Yeah, it's, yeah. it's amazing, it's beautiful. So you move over here, and you decide to stay, and yeah. you get back into playing music, and I wanted to ask how did you develop your your own personal love for psychic psychedelic music was there a band or album that attracted you to this style was this something you were into before hopping over the pond um yeah i was actually interested in it before coming over um i think from a musical upbringing standpoint it was definitely a lot of uh a lot of like just on my mother's side like Dylan and Floyd and all that kind of stuff from my father was the Beatles White Album and you know it's kinda ingrained in me from a young age to uh enjoy weird sounds and like not not to Dylan but like yeah, it's all the same kinda like I, I like the kind of folky psych kind of stuff and psych's like it's it's almost like not even a genre when you think about it. I mean there's there's psych metal, there's psych it's it's all it's like an a you know, an addendum to a genre or whatever where it's like there's like there's genres plus psych versions of each of those genres or something and I just think anything that's kind of like yeah I don't know like even like Dylan inspired me to love psych music yeah it was, it was in my family basically so it's what I'm saying from uh, from when I was a kid and uh, I think that when I moved here it's almost like I began to appreciate that like oh the west coast of the US or the west coast, west coast of North America like is the birthplace of all of this kind of stuff, and I could see exactly why. Because of the, cause of the weed, and because of the, you know, the the just the the kind of um, the the geography, like the beautiful, the mountains, the forest, like it just the beaches and all. It's very, it's just a very psyche kind of like, it's in the air. I think like all down the west coast. You just feel it, and it lends itself to that kind of music. If you go on a road trip down the west coast and you stick on psych, like that kind of like, it's just that kind of like feeling of space, you know, that psych music, like the kind of psych music that I'm into, kind of like lends itself to. Whereas in Dublin, it was very much a more claustrophobic psych, like almost like a, you know, Jesus Mary Chain, um, Black Robin Motorcycle Club, all that kind of stuff, which you know. 
it's just a little darker and a little more paranoid or something, you know? Yeah, I find that interesting, of course, because Ireland and Scotland are essentially the birthplaces of shoegaze, which is itself essentially a psychedelic form of music. Absolutely, yeah. And then you go to Germany and Krautrock is there, so like... So, like, yeah, that's what I mean about how broad it is. And I think that, like, yeah, Scotland... Scotland, yeah, Primal Scream. Like, they're one of my favourite bands. It would probably still my favourite band ever if I had, like, one of those desert island discs moments. I'd just take five of their records or something. I don't know. I just like the way they just keep, like, just keep evolving. And, like, it's almost like every single record could be a different band. Um, and that's kind of what I want to achieve with, with Orange Kite. But, like, yeah, I found that, like, Dublin had, a, like, it was definitely interested in psych, but it was filtered through a more, like, brutalist, kind of, like, paranoid landscape. And that was probably just a result of where I was at in my head anyway. But also the environment of Dublin City and the, the economic downturn and all that kind of, the crash of just basically having no money and everybody being a little bit miserable. Which wasn't the case here. Everybody was like shiny, happy people when I moved here. I was living in a community house and it was kind of like all this kind of like very hippie kind of stuff, you know? And I was like, oh wow, this is like, it's like night and day, the contrast between the frame of mind, the mindset people were in. Wasn't, there, there wasn't as much doom and gloom here. Yeah, it's, we're not struggling, it's just expensive here. That's yeah. the problem that we're encountering. Yeah, no, it is. And it's, yeah, it is. But it, it, Dublin's economy is after recovering and their rent's worse than here right now so that's good to know know, i guess (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i feel less bad yeah i was looking into like what the case would be if i moved back and i was like i'm never gonna afford that so i guess like you're stuck with me over here yeah on the west coast i've heard that san fran is worse than vancouver oh San Fran. that's that's good i guess yeah sucks to be you san fran yeah rents are like three or four times more than they are here it's crazy it's insane yep how can they justify that? I don't, I don't know. It's just insane. I don't even understand that stuff. I just know that, like, I don't want to... It sucks. Yeah, all know is that. It just sucks. Yeah, Yeah, but we'll, we'll make do. Mm. Totally. Yeah. And uh, your first release, Throw It Right, is fairly tightly connected with the formation of the band. Yeah. What was the process like writing, recording, and releasing this collection of songs? <laughs> I mean, there was no process. I mean, I mean, there was, but there wasn't as well. I mean, it, every song on that record, I mean, the title should have had included in it that it was like a single compilation because um, basically it was like 12. The formation of the project was the, the manifesto was to record a single every month, write and record a single every month in a different studio. And in a way, it was just my way of getting to know the music scene here. And I'm always trying to push myself to, like, just get better at songwriting. And I didn't really know that many people. So I'm like, every month I'll just record with somebody else. I get different musicians, different studio, different producer, different engineer. And just do a song that I just kind of, like, started writing, like, a couple of weeks before. And then it would be released on the 30th or the very last day of the month. And, um, and I just release it, no matter what state it was in. It, it, like so it involved mixing and mastering on the same day or like you know kind of stressful moments here and there where I was just like it, but but at the same time I just never learned I learned so much about the process I learned so much about myself and I learned so much about songwriting and actually managing people and being able to like you know 
communicate what I want and like just let my ego go as well and let people like be open to more collaborative kind of thing um so yeah it's just like every month it, it, it like it ranged from recording on a Tascam tape machine like an old 424 and recording guitars in my stairwell of my building like on my phone to actually recording in like Fader Mountain where like we had students recording this for like free kind of thing so there's no way it was ever going to sound like a cohesive record but I've heard people saying that if that does sound cohesive and I, I anytime I hear those songs I, just, I can just remember how the method behind them and just know how vastly different every song is and it's just me trying to experiment but yeah the, the only there was a man there was limitations placed on on the project from the start but the method each month just kind of changed completely from one month to the next and of course it grow it right involved the participation of a number of different collaborators collaborators and who were some of the people that worked with you on these songs and what did they bring to the table like i think there was a list of about 50 people that i put under the inside poster thing uh, for so I, don't, I don't expect you to list them all. So, well, I don't, yeah, unfortunately, I, I can't really remember. But like, I mean, my obviously Chris van der Laan is like being a mainstay. He's kind of the guy who almost inspired me to do this thing um, in a in his own kind of way. Chris van der Laan was yeah, Felix Fung, uh, Jason Corbett from Actors, uh, Christopher Ellis. He works out in Invisible Recordings and. People at Fader Mountain was my friend Ross Fahey from Ireland, actually. he, But he subsequently moved back to, to Ireland. But then musician-wise, like, it's, it, it, it kind of didn't... It kind of became like a consistent band towards from the middle of the project to the end because we started getting gigs. So then I had to like figure out how to rehearse for gigs while also stay, stay true to the recording schedule. So... Dave Mulvaney on drums, Robin Robin um, Truffle on bass, Maddie Reed ended up on sat like it's just if I try and remember everything like we got Kyle Kyle McQueen from Strange Things on guitar had like who else did we get I sent like collaborations home to people my mate Connor from House yeah just like I was doing email collaborations and all that kind of stuff it just just like like I said fifty people or something like that. Yeah, it opened up a lot of doors subsequently for just people to work with and just kind of, you know, broaden my horizons. For sure. And who currently makes up the Orange Kite lineup and how do they help realize your music on record and on stage? Um, It's me on guitar and singing, uh, Dave Mavani on drums, Pierce Kingen. On bass, do you know Pierce? Well, he's got. Oh his yeah, own thing. we've uh, we've game. had him on the show a few times because yeah. I know he also plays bass for Young Heezy now. Oh, he does that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think Young Heezy's in his band too, or something. Perhaps I don't know. Yeah, I've seen cool. I've seen Jordan Haney play with uh, Pierce King and the Pierce Kings, and yeah. Pierce Pierce and Maddie were both in the Pretties. Pierce and Maddie as well. were in the Pretties. Yeah. So Maddie is uh, is in Orange Kite on on sax. And Matt Dury, who's ex-member of Summering, is uh, basically, he is like the glue that keeps it all together in a way. He's kind of like the multi-instrumentalist who just like, on, live on stage, he does, he does organs and keys and all that sort of jazz. But like he's, he's provided additional guitar 
and you know kind of lap steel and all these kind of like nice little flourishes for the latest record and even on the second record he was like playing pianos and like theremins and yeah he's just one of those dudes who can pick something up and get something out of it so yeah that's the five that comprise the uh the live band right now and yeah they recorded the records there's like yeah trying to return to yeah, yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that's I thought I was forgetting. Oh, no, it's all right. Yeah. And what is your songwriting process like? Do you compose all, compose all the music yourself, or do you like to work with your band to flesh out the details? Yeah, I like to work with the band. I mean, I, I work... I do... I kind of like to get it up to, to... I like to get a verse and a chorus. I like to get two vocal parts, at least, and then start introducing it to the band and see where it's going and allow them allow people to just like throw in their kind of like w- their take on it tr- through their instrument and see where that see where it's going and then i'll do i'll go back and then maybe like come up with like you know like a middle eight or bridge or something like that to to complete it but i'm not really yeah i, l- I like to kind of freedom i like the whole point of like getting people in it's like don't get someone into your band if you don't trust what that they're good at what they do so, for example, yeah, like it's, I don't, I don't like to, it's not fun to kind of micromanage or whatever you want to call it. It's, it's more like, I think it's better to, to be a little more, I don't know, I, I'm too lazy to do that anyway, to be honest. I, I like when somebody comes up with something cool because it means I don't have to do it, you know? Yeah. And I kind of just like, like I said about Primal Scream earlier on, where it's kind of like sometimes it's like different personnel. And they all contribute their thing, and then one record sounds like it could be a different band. Like I feel like I want that to almost be like a trajectory for Orange Kite, where like it kind of just fluctuates, and fluctuates and changes, and people come and go, and you know contribute. Like in just like uh, almost a, not 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 maybe it's a collective. I don't know, but it's I I don't know. I'm just I'm just open to everybody having their having their say when it comes to putting the songs together. Yeah, and kind of, this isn't really a good segue, but I'm just going to segue into uh, uh, talking about the next LP, mm. Carousel, which is set for release on Little Cloud Records on October 25th. Yeah. How has the band evolved or changed since this record and your previous l- release, The Orange Kite, says yes? I realize that record didn't come out that long ago, but... Yeah, well, it's still like a vast difference because like I think that, that record was... That record was going that like in in the same way as the first record where we were kind of going in with unfinished songs. The Orange Kite says yes was like I would show Matt and Dave the song idea on the Wednesday or Thursday, and then we'd go and record. We did it in like two song chunks or something like that. So on Wednesday I'd say, oh, these are the next two, and then they would like figure it out, and then we'd record it on Saturday and then finish it. So it was very much like a very much like what's the word scattered scatterbrained kind of thing where nobody really knew what was going on but at the end of the day we had a record whereas this was like a, a, a process where whereby we had the songs we gigged them lots of times everyone had their parts down and it was recorded it's actually like we almost did it the, the way it's supposed to be like you know whereas the last two times we just did it the way you know I don't know we just did it 
very, very wrong, maybe. I, I don't know. I kind of just like, I don't, I think the comfort thing. I was in a band for like a long time where we just made one record after four years. And just the anticlimactical feeling of, of slaving over those 10 songs, 12 songs, only to have them come out not the way you hoped. Because they never do, because if you're sitting on them for four years, you're either sick of them or else you just you can never live up to your hopes. So I kind of feel like just never letting your feet touch the bottom of the pool kind of thing. And just like, it, it's okay to go in just with half ideas and just see what happens in the moment of its kind of recording because that's more true it's like a f it's like a snapshot i don't see the recording as like the fairly def def definitive version of the song it's just a version but uh carousel is is a little more together than the previous two yeah what i've noticed obviously over the course of the three releases because uh grow right isn't technically technically an album but no. it's, it's long enough to be an album yeah is that it seems that your approach has become more and more refined <clears throat> imagine part of that is obviously working with a lot of the same musicians over mm. the course of at the very least these last two records yeah who helped you on the production side of things for this album oh uh it was recorded by chris van der Laan, the aforementioned chris van der Laan, who like he uh yeah he recorded it in we kind of did it in like two hour kind of chunks we never actually got into any proper kind of session so we did it in on like an old reel-to-reel -reel tape machine that he's got um oh wow yeah it's cool it's it's particularly cool for the for the, the rhythm section in fact maybe that's all that was on the tape um but yeah, we recorded it on that and uh, yeah, did it in just an old motorcycle garage like studio back room behind that where it's uh, just off, off Clark Drive, like rehearsal rooms kind of space. And uh, he's super busy, so we kind of snuck in whenever we could with him, whenever he got a, a couple of hours to spare and pieced together like a patchwork quilt. But uh, luckily, like in, certainly in regards to the rhythm section, the boys like Pierce and Dave knew exactly what they were doing so they could just nail them in like three sessions. I kind of did like three solo kind of songs that are on it because I just love those like really hokey drum machines and I like the very, like just the variety that they add to records when you break up live music with that. So in a way it still kind of sounds a bit scattered but it's fr it's more together than the previous two. Um, but yeah, it was very much like, so Chris van der Laan, he, we eventually put it together in like two hour sections over the course of a few months. And then my, Josiah Webb from the band called Magic Shop, he, 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 he mixed and mastered it in Boston. I'm also the bass player for Magic Shop, um, like whenever we, we tour and stuff like that. So, and he also owns the label that we're on as well. So it's, it's all one big kind of like love in of sorts. It's, uh, it's nice though it's nice having those resources at hand yeah for sure that's really cool what were some of the goals that you guys had in mind going into the recording process with this new EP or LP I yeah. should say um, I just wanted to make I don't know it just like it kind of was like I just wanted something with a lot of energy I wanted something to be upbeat um, and just positive sounding I wanted it to sound like and I think we'd, we accomplished that 
certainly on, on a number of, of the songs. I think certainly the live songs have got just a lot of upbeat, positive kind of... It's, it's like a party kind of record-ish. It's very garage, very psych. Just lots of cool little psych flourishes. Lots of, like, the sax just makes it sound like a party straight away, <laughs> you know? Um, and I just wanted it to sound... Um, I, wa I did want it to sound very authentically, like... I wanted it to sound quite, quite, like, you know, 60s, I guess. Yeah. And when you record the tape and you use analog equipment and Pierce is like cool little viola or whatever he's got going on it's like the hollow body bass it just it just yeah it just sounds kind of it sounds very sounds like a lost little gem well <laughs> gem I don't know that's up for discussion but like it's uh it just sounds like a kind of lost six, 60s late 60s record or something and that's that was the aim of the game what excites you most about this new record um I think I don't know it's 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 just that, that how good it sounds despite the method <laughs> you know it's almost like it, when it was recorded in such like a smash and grab two hour chunks when I thought like oh it's never going to come together like we had computers breaking we had you know personal life problems just I went home for a couple of months. Me and Dave toured for um, Europe at one point. With it's just everything seemed to get in the way of this record. It just seemed forever like impeded by something, some kind of crisis or something breaking. And then listening back to it now, it's like whoa, it actually sounds cohesive and it sounds like yeah. I don't. It, it just it just all came together. I mean, the drums and the bass in this record are just like stellar. I think that's probably so, and I'm just really happy with my songwriting because it just it's, that that was always something I want to be. Want to be? I, I always want to make like psych music, but like not like no, I've not like something that can't fundamentally be brought down to an acoustic guitar, and a voice. I think once you got that at its core, and just it's probably just like where I'm at with having done kind of noisy music before. Where you go to a show and something breaks and then you can't play the gig. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you oh we're missing that pedal, so like that song is basically toast. So I think that that's that this album is kinda like the song kinda do the talking but then the the music the music behind it, I mean the yeah, like Pierce's bass playing on this record and his backing vocals and Day's drums, like everyone just like I can't like I can't under understate what everyone added to the record like Matt, Matty played two saxes he played like a baritone and a tenor sax and he did them both at the same time on certain sax tracks and oh, it just wow. sounds like insanely good it's like and it's like it's kind of like when I when I write songs and I'm like oh I, I gotta show my mother mother and father this song it's almost like because once you put brass on it it's almost like it sounds pro because I'm just used to playing with like I don't know. There's something about that. It just lends itself to like, wow, it sounds really like professional or something. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm talking through my, through my ass. But uh, just, yeah, I can't understate. Like, th Matt did all his contrib contributions from Edmonton without any consultation or any rehearsal from... Like, so, like, he would just send tracks and I would just open them up, open up the files and just be oh, blown... Shit. I'd just be blown away by what he just came up with. And Matt's such a humble guy that he was, he'd be kind of like, oh, I'll take it out and see what you think. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is like the best thing I've ever heard. Yeah, he's like the most in-demand, like, rock and roll sax guy in the city. Well, no, and I'm talking about, 
that's no Maddie. So yeah, we've got a Maddie and we've got a oh, Matt. Right. But Matt, Matt, Matty recorded with, with rehearsals. Okay. But Matt uh, in Edmonton recorded all his like, oh, yeah, lap steel yeah. keyboards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He he did it all from Edmonton, and he'd be like, "Oh, just you know, very understated about mm-hmm. everything." And then I'd open it up, and it's like the greatest like slide guitar thing I, I think of. Just the most perfect compliment to the song, which has to work around the sax and like the crazy like super busy bass playing, and then the vocal has to go on as well. So. Yeah, I think it sounds cohesive despite everything going a little bit like balls to the wall. <laughs> Which it, is cool. It sounds good based off the singles that you've released, so yeah. definitely looking forward to hearing the final product in just a few days now. Mm. And looking ahead to 2020, what are the band's plans to promote Carousel? Uh, you know, that's kind of like being the endless struggle of this band is just like figuring out I I don't know. It basically, the answer to that question is I don't know because my mind's been such a restless. I'm just such a restless person in terms of the creation of the music that I'm already on the next record, and like I was working like so like. Yeah, I I actually have to kind of just carve out uh, like some. I have to make a plan to promote this record, hoping to do like a Pacific Northwest tour at least. Um. In like, uh, yeah, probably probably won't be doing anything in the immediate future, but maybe summer, try and do something a little extensive, like try and actually do the US. And uh, I think I've got like uh, me and Dave and Matt, we're going on tour with Magic Shop in the spring. So it's kind of like trying to balance the two bands and various projects that were, because we're, the, the boys are also in other projects too. Mm-hmm. So with that comes a little bit of a headache in terms of trying to get stuff together. But uh, there will there will be a tour, but it, it won't be immediately upon the release of the record. It'll it'll be something that will happen next next year. Gotcha. Yeah. And uh, kind of speaking to that, when is your next show? It is December tenth with Howlin' Rain. Who that's in the Astoria, and there might be something announced before that as well. I'm working on something something like yeah something more DIY actually. Nice. So, yeah. I'm kind of getting inspiration from all those uh, unjaded kids who make the cool uh, DIY shows and thinking about doing something. I'm working on doing something like a kind of regular kind of night um, at a venue with like a kind of psych kraut kind of garage Mm -hmm. feel to it. And uh, I'm thinking that we might just play the opening night of that. Oh, that'd be rad. So, yeah, that's another thing I'm working on that's kind of like distracting me from, from making... 2020 plans with, with Orange Coyote and trying to yeah. get this other project up and running, which hopefully will happen before the end of the year. And we'll probably, well, it's getting to crunch time now. So you know, if I don't announce it in the next week or two, it's probably not happening till next year. Well, I hope it does because that sounds really cool. Yeah. Especially yeah, sure. highlighting uh, highlighting other psychedelic psychedelic bands in, yeah, totally. in got, the city. Yeah, I've got like a short list of like a bunch of bands that I'd like to, to get going. Like, because the venues closing down and stuff like that it's like I've got something on the like just on my fingertips that I within reach that I can use and maybe it'll be well timed to kind of you know give people a place to go like 3 to 3 close and Static Jupiter is gone mm-hmm. you know we need people we need somewhere to go <laughs> I'd say if you're looking for suggestions for that shortlist uh, Melt would be one Melt. Yeah, Melt are awesome. We've had them on the show a few episodes ago. They sound a lot like Tame Impala and 
My Morning Jacket. Holy They're really, really shit, cool. You've got to check these guys out. I'm one of my, my buddies in, in Dublin, their band's called Melts, actually, and they're doing really well. They're among that crop of uh, cool bands, post-punk bands that I spoke about Are, earlier. Is their band name spelled M-E-L-L-T? No, it's no, M-E-L-T-S. Okay. Oh, gotcha. Melts. Okay. Because this Vancouver band is called M-E-L-T-T, but there's a band in the UK called uh, M-E... LLT. Oh, right. There's too much melting yeah. going on. Yeah, what's going on? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it, it, words become in vogue uh, with bands. You know, black is worn out, you know, and then you have like, I, actually, I don't really want to mention the others in case I just offend for people, whatever. Um, but yeah, you know how it is. Like, it's like a word like melt. I never would have seen that. That's come Scooped out of left up. field. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's three bands now with, with, that are called melt. Yeah. But yeah, um, I'll, I'll check them out. That's a that's a nice blend of styles that you just mentioned there. The Intelligent Service. Would oh be yeah, another one. Yeah, I know Alex. Yeah, yeah. Me, yeah. I, I actually, hope they'd be on your short list. They're on. They're on the list yeah. already. Yeah, without a doubt. There's just lots of bands uh, like Apathy Spells and Wash and Brother Twelve and like you know there's just a there's just a bunch of like cool cool bands going on that just kind of there's a there's a lack of like sizes for spaces like mm -hmm. you know like it's either like sm tiny or like huge <laughs> and so bands like that who fit into kind of like a certain size venue we need somewhere like you know that like the cobalt we used to be used yeah to be perfect yeah yeah i i certainly agree that something i was having a conversation with a former co-worker who was in a local band called teak physique oh, and eric yeah and he uh he moved to Toronto, and one of the things he kind of complained to me about is that there isn't really a mid-size venue for, or any sort of like mid-size venue for local bands that are you know not at that Commodore size, but yeah. they're they're kind of they've done the bar circuit enough times that yeah. they're trying to find you know something else. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's uh, there's a lot of bands that kind of fit into that kind of uh, category of of like in terms of the size that they're following, and it's lots of cool stuff there. So it's it's just we got to find the places to keep them playing and keep them busy and uh, yeah just make good good stuff happen yeah well I'm looking I hope it uh, I hope it takes off because I think a curated like psych shoegaze night would be really cool and I definitely I definitely come out to that yeah um, well hopefully I can get announcing something over the next week or two I was working on like a poster and reaching out to bands and stuff earlier on today um, and yeah venue i think is pretty much sorted so i'm just trying to dial it in i think it's, it's gonna happen but uh yeah i'd like to i'd like to make it a regular thing but just making just making sure the first one goes off without a hitch is the first part of the process i guess yeah for sure so how can listeners check out your music and keep up with everything the orange kite is up to uh just like the usual uh i guess what are our handles it just Actually, the names, that's one good thing about having like mm -hmm. a spelt off-kilter name. Just Google it, Orange Kite with a Y, K-Y-T-E, and uh, Facebook. I, I, Yeah, I guess we, we kind of like, uh, yeah, you'll get everything on Facebook, Twitter. Twitter's there as well. What, what's the deal with Twitter? <laughs> not to Does get, anyone use not, it? Not to get too political, but I think uh, a couple of politicians have kind of ruined <laughs> yeah. the platform for some folks yeah but yeah i guess so. i don't i don't i've never i never got onto twitter but yeah. then stuff that's happened in the last few years has made me pretty much allergic to the platform yeah. i think it works 
for in terms of creative people, I find Twitter works really well if you're like an author or you're some sort of intellectual. I am neither. But <laughs> <laughs> not that your music isn't smart or anything like oh, that. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think Twitter is really the best platform for musicians. It's primarily te- seems to be Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, Facebook. You catch it all on Facebook. You get it on Twitter, even if that's why, why you want. And Instagram. And do people use regular websites now? We have a website under development, which is probably going to like come into fruition and get like no traffic that, whatsoever. That seems like a good 2020 goal because it, uh, yeah. It, I mean, it looks cool being the, you know, the flashing, you know, coming soon. Oh, you've seen it? Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, there's nothing on That's here. That's been like that for about three years. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'd say, we're I'd say that'd be a good that idea. Yeah. I've, uh, done to no, on that. I've done nothing about that whatsoever. Um, <laughs> It's on, like, I have my to-do list, and I keep, like, saying, okay, put it in for Friday, and then it's, like, scratch it off and put it in for Saturday, and then I scratch it off Saturday and put it in for next week, and then it's just, like, just keep, keeps, keeps getting pushed out. But, yeah, websites look look cool, but I don't know if they're, I don't know. I'll, I'll put it together and see. see it's nice to anything. have. Yeah. It, it looks good for an EPK. Looks pro. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, All right. thank you so much, Stevie. This has thank been a you. lot of fun. Cheers. And uh, for listeners who want to check out the Orange Kite's next record, Carousel drops on October 25th, wherever you stream your music. You can also order a physical copy of the record on limited edition pink vinyl on the Little Cloud Records website at littlecloudrec.com. And thanks for yeah, thanks for listening. We're your hosts, James Olson. And Travis Noel. Pacific Sound Radio is produced by Jaden Fraze. Travis, how can people check out what we're doing? You can check us out on Facebook, Pacific Sound Radio, as well as our Instagram at Pacific Sound Radio, Twitter at Pacific S Radio, YouTube, Pacific Sound Media, as well as our website, PacificSoundRadio.com. If you know a local band or artist that you think should appear as guests on our show, let us know. Fill out the form on our website or send us an email to talkpsr at gmail.com. 